Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to our podcast. And we're back. <laughs> we're Did back. you miss us? Mm-hmm. I missed us. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of A Court of Mist and Fury. I am Sam Swags. I'm Hannah Slash Buds. And I'm Sarah Slash Carbs. Today we are starting A Court of Mist and Fury, which is book two in Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Thorn and Roses series. We are going to be reading part one, The House of Beasts, which is chapters one through 13. The House of Beasts. The House of Beasts. I don't know why we keep repeating each other. <laughs> wait, wait, one more time. The House, house of, house of Beasts. beasts. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> So, this section kind of sucked. Made me very angry a lot. Should I give them a recap? Where we left off at the end of book one, our leading lady, Feyre, just completed her trials with Amarantha. She solved the riddle, and you'll never guess what. The evil person went back on her word. (laughs) And because the Fae rallied for Feyre, uh, she decided to kill her anyways. So, Feyre experiences the worst thing ever, death. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she is brought back by a shred of power from each of the High Lords. Mm-hmm. She is made anew as a High Fae. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now that Feyre is reborn anew, her and Tamlin are free to love each other and... Right off into the sunset. Happily ever after. Happily ever after, because something that awful can't possibly affect a a, a budding relationship. Never. <laughs> so let's talk about where Farah is at right now. Since we've done a little Engaged. recap. Engaged! Engaged, and we weren't even part of the process. How rude. Mm-hmm. So How rude. How dare Sarah J. Mass? I mean, we all saw this coming. Come on. Really? <laughs> yeah, obviously he's not Endgame because she met Resand and said that he was the most beautiful person ever. We didn't even get to witness the beautiful joy of proposing. Kind of like trash. I'm kind of glad I didn't see that. Can you imagine, like, having to read... Him swooning over her, and it's super forced. First portion, I was like, that sounds nice. And then he said forced, and I was like, oh, no. never mind. No. <laughs> Just knowing what Feyre went through and Tamlin, and then knowing that they get engaged, I'm like, ugh. Like, I, well, <laughs> it's I mean, also, like, so, I feel abrupt, because it doesn't right. feel like time has passed. I'm sure that there has been. It's only been three months since, yeah. since before the mountain. It just feels like, well, there's nothing better to do than just get married that reminds me so much of the neighbors movie with zach efron and there's one character in it where he's going through a divorce and they finally think they're gonna reconcile and she's like let's just have a baby it'll solve everything (laughs) that yeah that's exactly what this feels like yeah let's just get married because weddings are distracting and true love doesn't exist um but (laughs) well i mean yes it does but sorry i'm just being i'm being very negative just because i wasn't surprised that they got engaged reading that first section was so difficult how favor process being at the spring court i felt suffocated let's talk about it Mm -hmm. how how is she feeling because when we left, I feel like in book one, at the very end, it's just kind of, there's this promise of new hope. We're going back to the spring court. She views it as home. And then we're starting book two, and it's like, I hate it here. I mean, the first freaking chapter is her 
in her own nightmares, killing herself. Reliving. Reliving that experience. And other people, and instead she killed herself, herself like she feels like she should have. Mm-hmm. Deserved to die. That's pretty deep for the first three pages you read. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, she's not only feeling the guilt and trauma from what she went through, but she's showing no interest in the things that she loves. She's not allowed to help people. She's not allowed to leave the grounds mm-hmm. of his manor. And she can't even be in certain rooms. She can't be in a kitchen because she feels too claustrophobic. She can't go into her art studio because there's not enough light. There isn't anything in her house that doesn't trigger her at this mm-hmm. point. I feel like it's it's so frustrating because she's earned the right to go out and explore. You know but what I mean? But she's also a fae, literally the most powerful she has ever been. Mm-hmm. She can actually defend herself. For the first time in forever, she has no, she can't even test that out, figure out what her ability is, and what they, it's like to be a fae. And she talks about this too, about how her strength, she doesn't have any control over. She'll... How many forks she, she broke or bends or, bends her or like how many doors she closes and ends up slamming it until it shatters. shatters. She's this walking elephant. She's the literal elephant in the world. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of feels that way. I mean, not only is she sequestered to the palace, but everyone treats her so strangely. They treat her like she's a porcelain doll, Mm -hmm. kind of. It reminds me of Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games when she comes back after winning the first game. Everything is just very superficial Mm -hmm. and face value. It's like, we want to oogle and ogle you like a celebrity, but we don't want to approach you because you're delicate. You're... Yeah. A deity, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You saved our lands. I feel bad for her. There's more people around, and yet she feels even more alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like they're treating it as a reward, like you don't have to do anything ever again. You get to just sit back and relax and plan parties, wear pretty dresses, wear all the jewelry you want, paint all day. What more do you want with your life? You deserve this. You sacrificed yourself. You've earned this. (laughs) You get to be what your sisters wanted. (laughs) She is a survivor, and she's always been a survivor. And I think this experience has made her want to up her ante. It's shown her what she can withstand. Now I'm this new thing I want to be able to protect myself in this new form. There's also a relationship part that's really hard to grasp. She did all of this for her love for Tamlin, and he's never around. Mm -hmm. And he's dealing with his own trauma. And so everything that she fought for, she's not even getting now because he's so distant and distracted and dealing with his own stuff. She Mm -hmm. went through all of this so that they could be together, and she doesn't even feel like they're really together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Tamlin's as much killed at the bottom of the mountain as she was. He's almost acting like he's still sitting next to Amarantha's throne. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like he never actually came out. He's still unemotional. Well, he he gets a little ragey, but he's still a ghost of himself. He's still Claire better nailed to the wall, you know? I didn't think of it like that. Tamlin's kind of like an overdrive now. So it's Mm -hmm. like a trauma response because he finally has his ability back when he didn't have his ability to be able to save Feyre at the end of the first book. We can, we obviously debated, we weren't happy with his reaction, but I feel like he's overcompensating for it now because of the way he reacted and his lack of power. It's like he's and making up for lost time. Yes. And he's doing it in this little window instead of realizing that there are other ways he could be helping his mm-hmm. partner. Well, and he's not He's not being considerate. He knows her. He does. And he's acting like he doesn't. He's treating her like he has no idea who she is and her personality. This is the same girl who you told her to stay locked in her room during the fire night. And of course she left. 
duh. And you expect her to be any different now that she's saved your court Mm -hmm. and has these new high fey powers. You just expect her to be like, you know what? I'm just going to become something completely opposite from what I was before. Knock me up. Give me all the babies. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, Tamlin was very independent in the first book. He did go off quite a bit mm-hmm. to, like, deal with um, surreals true. or the bogey or not. all the other uh, stuff yeah. that Amarantha was sending he, he, he at He left him. quite a few times. Like, he wasn't as gone for as long of periods, I don't think, but... Well, he we was, didn't care at the time either right, because we weren't Farrah in love with did. him. Yeah. Farrah says something about like Tamlin always having one foot in the forest. And that's so evident in the first couple chapters. He just can't sit still. He has to do something, anything, which is exactly what Farrah wants. Out of his own fears and anxiety, he won't let her do that. But he, of course, is giving himself the freedom to like do what he needs to do to kind of distract himself from thinking about all these well, awful things. Well, because he's in control. He right. wants control. But mm-hmm. the thing is, in order for him to have control, he's stealing it away from Farrah. Mm-hmm. This yeah. woman is hurting. Can you blame her? She just survived the worst of the worst. And now it's like, okay, Lottie, Lottie, la, let's just get married and put you in a fluffy dress mm-hmm. and pretend like nothing ever happened. Okay, y'all also pictured her dress like Giselle's in that Disney movie. With <laughs> and Amy Enchanted. Adams, right? Wait, Enchanted. what? <laughs> her wedding dress was essentially Amy Adams oh. and Enchanted. I can't tell you what I of thought of then. Oh, what did you think of? <laughs> My mom's wedding dress. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mom. Is it really poopy? Yeah. It was like <laughs> it's 80s. Really I'm imagining my mother's dress too. Yes. Sorry, Mom. I would totally wear it. I mean, I think it's in style, but also when I read it, I was like, oh, Mom. No. No, no it's definitely Giselle from Enchanted. It's also just so not her. She's like the huntress who doesn't care about glam and jewelry and fashion and stuff. She wears pants most of the time. It was easier to escape. Yeah, and, and run away. And full range of movement. <laughs> But let's kind of get into the characters that we meet. We now have... Ianthe. Ianthe. Sam's face. <laughs> hey, this uh, bitch, don't get me started. You know, I... Tell me, me how you really feel. <laughs> I got, we're going to have to bleep out a lot more at this rate. I'll put in the Spongebob, like dolphin sounds. I kind of felt, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt like Ianthe was somewhat like living through being a high lady through Feyre. Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, okay, okay we're, we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Okay, she's totally projecting. Vicariously. She's vicariously living yeah. through being a high lady through Feyre. Ianthe is a high priestess, mm-hmm. and there are 12 of them in the land of Prithian. And she is the youngest and most ambitious of the sets. Ambitious? (laughs) (laughs) How dare she? How dare she? I haven't read that all of this book, but just coming from a place of not knowing that much about Ianthe, they did say that priestesses in this universe, they are not celibate. They can kind of do whatever they want, have kids, and it's just sort of this kind of figurehead type role. Oh, they can do whatever. And she just seems to be reaping the benefits of that. Ianthe is in Tamlin's ear, just Ooh. saying shit, guiding him. Maybe his bed, too. Yeah, she she reminds me of, is it Littlefoot in yeah. um, Game of Thrones? Littlefinger. Littlefinger, just oh yeah, whispering in people's ears, mm-hmm. but for her own benefit. And you gotta wonder what her endgame is. Well, I thought they almost 
kind of mention it. I think feel like Lucian had made a comment about like, look, she wants to have good offspring and mating with a, a high lord, even though Lucian is, I, I, I don't want to say like extradited, but like even though Lucian is not a part of the Autumn Court, he still is a nobility. high- Nobility. Yeah, he's still nobility. I mean, there'd be some good kids, you know, I don't know. Doing everything she can to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> well, I don't, I, okay. I want to take that glowing rock above her head and shove it down her throat. I feel like you two are playing very fair. Ianthe kind of reminded me of Amarantha a little bit. Really? I just felt there was something very manipulative about Amarantha. You know what's so funny? My opinion of Ianthe is what I originally thought Rhysane was under the mountain. Chaos starter who's just trying to not even cause chaos, but do everything with intention to benefit themselves. Which obviously we find out that isn't the case with Rhysan, but she is the embodiment of what I thought he was mm-hmm. in book Interesting. one. Interesting. She learned from the best. Never thought that. Whenever I read Ianthe in my head, I imagine Tilda Swinton in Narnia. Oh, yeah. Those crazy dresses, her hair up, like that white blonde hair. My biggest issue with Ianthe was the rose petal thing. Feyre was really struggling with certain colors, which I think is also heightened from being a high fae. Even before when she was really into painting, colors and imagery was very important. And so now dealing with the color red, she can't help but to see these fairies' bloody bodies that she just stabbed. And Claire's blood dripping Exactly. Exactly. So, so they're planning the wedding. Ianthe's like, well, we need to have flowers. You want white, you want pink, you want red. She's like, no, no red flowers. No. <laughs> and what happens? Feyre goes down the aisle and she sees the red petals at the altar and she goes into shock. And that's calculative. Let's talk about the wedding. Yeah. The wedding. So I wrote, or the lack thereof. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. my One thing we should also say before the wedding is that Feyre asks Tamlin what his people are going to call her. And he tells her that, because she's like, I don't, like, what do they call me? Like a high lady or a high fey lady? And he's like, there's no such thing as. Yeah, he's like, absolutely not. not. <laughs> you're just, you're just a lady or my mistress. So, or whatever. Mary consort. You're my consort, which sounds so, like, sanitary. <laughs> it sounds very clinical. Yeah, it does. Clinical, yeah. So that sucks. So the wedding happens and. Doesn't doesn't happen i mean she gets all the way down the aisle and then she has a mental breakdown she sees those red petals which she specifically asked ianthe not to get and she is literally internal monologuing begging someone to save her because it's not even that she doesn't want to marry tamlin she no longer feels worthy of tamlin Mm -hmm. that he could do better than her she's struggling so much and she's so broken that she does not deserve to be with anybody and that was the cause or at least, like, the mindset of the spiral is she's literally standing in the middle of the aisle surrounded by hundreds of people for this wedding. That And all eyes on her, expecting her to just complete this. And she's begging and begging and begging. And she's like, please save me. And then, poof! I wonder who it is. <laughs> Hello, favorite dog. It's good old Rhysand. Fun fact, I saw somewhere online that act of winnowing, peering, apparating, like in Harry Potter... It's supposed to be silence. 
So Resand intentionally winnowed to that wedding to cause a damn scene and made that loud burst to make people Poof, freak yeah. out when he came. He's, so he's all about the theatrics, you know? <laughs> Can you blame him? Can you really just silently interrupt a wedding like, excuse me? <laughs> I am jacked. <laughs> and it was cool. I think it's cool that he said, hello, Pharaoh darling. He stops the wedding. And at the wedding, we also realized that it's been three months, and he hasn't come to claim her for their bargain. She yeah. still has the tattoo on, which, by the way, they made her wear gloves to cover up for the wedding, which was very sad. It's mm-hmm. like, it's part of her now. Mm-hmm. Get over it. But he appears, and he is saying that he's there. He's not telling everybody that she's been begging someone to save her, but he's like, it's time to mm-hmm. collect. You're coming with me to the night court. He, they have a standoff. Tamlin's like, what do you want? I'll pay for it, because that's all he can do. He eventually backs down, and like, Lucian shocked... Feyre's devastated, like, Ianthe disappeared. No one is there to, like, she wanted to be rescued, but not like that. Now that you're saying this and I'm remembering it all, all of those people who looked at Rhysand as this vile enemy who claimed to be supporters of Feyre and want what's best for her, but in a moment where you think that some creepy guy's gonna whisk her away, you back down. Mm -hmm. You're all about protecting her, and in a moment where she actually probably needed protecting from their point of view, they're Mm -hmm. just like, okay, you can go. We can't do anything about it. He won't take our money, so I guess you have to go. It does feel a little bit like, like, Tamlin's anger is kind of a front. Like, I have to be upset because I'm not supposed to like this, mm-hmm. but I can't really do anything about it. So, I'll anger do- is his only yeah. recourse to things because he has, right. he, even at full power, he still does not have the power that Resan does at the end of the day. Right. So, off they go to the night court mm-hmm. or the night court that Resan is willing to show. So, essentially, where he winnows her, they are at the, the Moonstone, Moonstone House. And this is the house that is above the Court of Nightmares, which is what Under the Mountain was modeled after. So she's having an additional panic attack on top of the wedding panic attack. She's like, oh my god, I'm going to be at the place that my three months of torture were based off of. For three months, she's been having night terrors. Right, she's been having night terrors. She wakes up and she throws up. That's how sick it's making Mm -hmm. her. She literally can't leave the bathroom for... Like hours. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, I was nervous that she was pregnant, and I was like, oh, I thought go. the same thing too. Really? Oh, yeah. oh, that's not at all. I did not. Well, because she was throwing up every night, and all of a sudden, her and Tamlin are having a lot more sex, and I'm just like, oh no. This is well, you learn eventually that it's very hard to get pregnant as a face. So. Yeah. And Reason was like, "What has happened to you? Are you not eating?" What's going on? Because she just looks so ill mm-hmm. the first time that he's seen her under the mountain. She looks as if she's never even come up from under the mountain. Mm-hmm. She's just so sickly, underfed, malnourished. And she acts out of anger because I think she's embarrassed that he's just stole her away from the wedding. But kind of relieved that she has this time. But she's like, oh no, what are you going to do to me now? Like, what is this new hell that I'm about to endure? And he... Kind of, honestly, is the first person in this book to show her any type of grace. And she is winnowed, or apparated, into this beautiful palace of, what was it, Moonstone? Moonstone. And no windows. Everything's just open air. I think that's But so it's beautiful. snowy outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. I hope, I hope this TV show makes it to at least the second season so we can see oh, the night court. I don't that's want to see the TV show. Life. I probably I won't watch it, it either. Because, you know, I have this idea of how these characters are in my head. 
And as much as I would love a TV show, I know it's just going to ruin it for me. The fandom, I think, might ruin it. <laughs> See, I don't look at the fandom stuff, though. Like, I, do. I don't know. I, I read these books, and it. I chat yes. with you guys, and I don't read comments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I like I like my thoughts and my thoughts alone. <laughs> In my brain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to tell our thoughts to everybody else. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, we don't give a fuck about what you want. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Like, I think, I think we're like a... subscribe, comment that we won't read. <laughs> we're gonna have no a... feedback, please. We're doing it perfectly. Yeah. Every you know time. what? Whoever sticks through this will be quite the follower. Yeah. <laughs> and we probably have friends. <laughs> and we appreciate you. We do, we do. Whomever you may be. We love you. We appreciate you. Thanks. I really need you tonight! <laughs> So I do have a question about a line, a conversation between Resand and Feyre and her first week at the night court, where... <clears throat> you done? Yep. Sorry, so, Sam. There is a quote. There is a quote you wanted to. I know. Bring. I wanted to discuss because I don't understand it. So it was. They're talking about what happened under the mountain, and Resand is essentially trying to be like, "Well, I was the good guy, even though I had you dancing around me naked." The line is, "Did you even tell your friends about what I did to you under the mountains? I don't want to talk about anything related to that with you or with them." No, because it's easier to pretend it never happened and let them coddle you. I believe that he's referring to when he would feed things down the line because she made that comment. You can go into my mind whenever you want. Why do you care? It is interesting that she never told Tamlin that in reality, he did help her a lot of those times. And you're, you kind of wonder why, because I feel like that's something that you wouldn't necessarily want to hide. But she weirdly defended Resand the night before her wedding to those guys. One of the men asked about her tattoo and was all like, oh, is the High Lord can't come around yet? Probably too scared of Tamlin. And she's like, well, you don't know Resand." Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she has this love-hate relationship because she doesn't really understand him. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, he's also just not... He's got those facades. Yeah, he wears all these masks and he's not very upfront with her. They're both constantly testing the waters, but in reality, they have a bond between them that neither one of them can control. And so as much as you want to wear a mask, these are the two people together that you can't wear a mask against. Resan and Feyre, when it comes to like what they endured under the mountain, is way more similar than what Tamlin experienced versus what Feyre's so. experienced. I mean, we even saw in the first book when Amarantha told Resan to just kill that random Fey that had lied about something, and he, she just said, just destroy his mind. He killed for this woman. He probably didn't want to, I'll assume, just yeah. kind of playing a role. And of course, Feyre was forced to kill Fey. I think aside from their very literal bond, he's the only one who truly knows how she feels about being forced into doing things. He's showing signs through the cracks of his masks about, I don't just go into your mind. Sometimes you send stuff down and I can't help that I get it. You asked for anybody to help you and no one would save you from the wedding. And here I am, yet you still are mad at me. And he's being tough with her, but also very 
thoughtful in the way that he addresses her. Even mm-hmm. now, she's up in this moonstone castle above the original hell that her torment and trauma is based off of, and she's literally sleeping on a bed on top of this mountain. He's just kind of like, you can do as you please. And his only request was that she work on understanding her powers, mostly putting up shields in her mind so that people don't have the ability to interfere. And it's interesting because she makes this comment that he can just go into her mind whenever she wants and he's giving her an option to not allow that to happen. He's teaching her how to shut people out of her head. Including him. She doesn't really see it that way because she's just so... It's almost like clutter in her brain. She's got so much stuff going on that she's trying to process. She's not understanding the broader picture of it. Mm -hmm. Well, but simultaneously while practicing her shields, he is finally teaching her how to read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, which is a bit egotistical the way he goes about it. Rhysand looks at Feyre and knows that the only way to get her to do something is to kind of piss her off. One thing that I thought was really significant about like the difference between Rhysand and Tamlin is... Rhysand, when she's with him in the night court for the first time, she asks her, like, don't you have better things to do? And he says, yeah, but I would much rather do this. And Tamlin is in this, they're, like, they're in the same position. They're both high lords dealing with crumbling infrastructures. And trying to rebuild well, after Amaranth. Right, exactly. But Rhysand is choosing to give a portion of his time and energy and attention into favor because she desperately needs it That right isn't now. just sex. No, exactly. That's, that's what Tamlin thinks is the band-aid on the situation. Right. The- that made me so upset I reading know. about. I mean, like, they were some steamy scenes. I'll give it to him. You know, so clap but it just felt just like a band-aid it was just like it he didn't even feel like that it felt like here's your cookie been a good girl yeah <laughs> and not in the cute sexy way i kind of felt like it was to shut her up like i'm sorry yeah. like i hate to say it like that but it was but just true. like i'm going to give you everything you want <laughs> not even everything you want everything i think you want mm-hmm. or what i think you should want he doesn't treat her like this fragile porcelain doll who's about to fall apart he's not afraid of her he doesn't necessarily idolize her her for what she did in, in the same way that the spring court kind of ogles at her. Well, he's not locking her in the house and telling her right. that she can't walk around and do stuff. He's seeing her as an equal. And he's looking at her powers and being like, we should look into that. Mm-hmm. Let's figure it out. You right. want to play with it? Let's teach you about shields in your mind. You probably have more powers than a high fade because you got your life back from all seven of the court wards. I think it's suggested that Tamlin and Lucian we're starting to catch on that that Feyre is way more powerful and they just didn't want to deal with it. You know, it's like, they didn't know how to. Yeah. Let's just ignore it. And maybe it'll go away. away. If we keep her locked in the house, does it really matter? Right. Exactly. And during that breakfast where we were having that discussion, she also met more. How do you pronounce her name? Morgan. Morgan. It's Morgan. It's Morgan. Like Mor- yeah, okay. there's a little bit of like a draw to because of the spelling, but it's pretty much Morgan. But Morgan. Everyone calls her more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, more. I love more With- so much. She is. I don't know. I Sam loves her. More. She's. <laughs> she's very friendly. I feel like she's the first person that Feyre has met probably ever that just genuinely comes off as a friendly face and who is genuine. Yeah, she's very much looking forward to the fresh blood that is Feyre. 
She reminds me of like a welcoming committee. She <laughs> totally is. She kind of reminds me of Feyre. She's just the like, spicy person that puts Reese in his place all the time. Maybe not as angry as Feyre. If Reese is the most beautiful male Fey alive, more is the female equivalent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to be related. Right. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> All right, so we know more. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that she was the one that was present when Reese saved her from the wedding after Farah threw the shoes at him, mm. and <laughs> more sassily was like, "Well, that went well." Mm-hmm. <laughs> As uh, Farah went up to her room for the first night in the uh, Moonstone Palace, it was really fun. I feel like more just keeps everyone humble. She's yeah. like, calm um, down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to talk about the whole inner circle in the mm-hmm. next section. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Feyre does go back to the spring court. Did anyone else think it was weird that Feyre literally stopped in the middle of their wedding? She said no out loud. But Tamlin didn't address the fact that she stalled at their wedding. Now he can blame Rhysand. Their MO is just pretend like it never happened. Her words don't actually really matter. He's treating everything she says like that. He's like listening, but he can't really hear her. I I did find it strange, but also I did also not find it strange that when she comes back to the spring court, they never, they don't talk about the wedding really ever again. But it's, it's going to happen still. Like, that intention's always there. There. She comes back, and he just constantly is like, it's all Reese's fault. I'm Tell like, me everything about the night court yeah. for her own oh, benefits. That's so infuriating that he's like, hey, sweetie, I'm so happy you're back. Can you meet us in the room? And I know that I didn't care about anything you had to say, but can you tell me every little detail and be our spy at the night court? Okay, but you didn't want me to participate in anything going on in the spring court before I was called to help resand. And now all of a sudden you want me to be this infiltrating spy, but you literally would not let me do anything to help you guys before. And the moment something happens outside of the night court that's still in the spring court, he's like, okay, sweetie, gotta go. Thanks. And she's like, can I help? And he's like, absolutely not. It's too dangerous. It's so, it's so frustrating. It's so hypocritical. And shortly after she comes back is the tithe, which is a type of tax. And of course, which who saw this coming, this bitch, uh, there was someone who couldn't pay a tax. And of course, favor related with this person coming from nothing. She was starving when Tamlin took her away. It was a water wraith who has a really bad reputation of not being able to manage wealth, being very gluttonous about what they have. Mm -hmm. So it was a water wraith that came up to Tamlin and was like, I don't have money. And everyone's like, surprise, surprise. You should have thought about that. She kind of does talk about how it's been really hard recently because of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. How would we have anything to provide for you when the world just went to shit for the last Right. What? 50 years. 50 almost, years. Yeah. Thera runs after her and takes, a jewelry. takes her jewelry off of herself and hands it to her and she's like, please use this to pay it. I don't need it. That's so very Thera. She's not one to even wear jewelry in the first place. She right. never wants gobs of gifts that are bestowed upon her right now. When Thera gave her the jewelry and she walks off, the water wraith makes a comment and says, we are indebted and we will never forget. That was certainly something for predictions moving forward. I'm like, that's Some, a guarantee. Something's gonna That's happen. That's like a foreshadowing hits you in the face. I just almost like, where is that rape scene? <laughs> She's gonna come in handy real Always soon. <laughs> and Tamlin loses his shit on her. Yeah. For doing that, he's like, you undermined me. Little dick energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, calls him out because he did grow up in the lap of luxury. 
And he doesn't know what it's like to starve. And he doesn't know what it's like to have to fight for your own living. Feyre loses it. And she gets very upset. And this is the kind of first big fight. And they're having it in front of Lucian, too. It's the first Who, time that she fights back. Right. Yeah. And After being empowered, spending a week in the night court with Freesand. Mm-hmm. And Lucian actually supports her in this fight. And he tries to convince Tamlin to, one, calm down and to hear her out. But Tamlin doesn't want to. And then Feyre does her first ever mind swap, or at least she's seeing through Lucian's eyes. The line is, thoughts slammed into me, images and memories, a pattern of thinking and feeling that was old and clever and sad, so endlessly sad and guilt-written, hopelessness. Then I was back, blinking no more than a heartbeat passing as I gaped at Lucian, his head. I had been inside his head and slid through his mental walls. So you didn't see it because you were reading, but Sam and I both looked at each other and just frowned really big. At the same time, we're like, oh, oh no. Lucian, Oh, I thought you were saying that I read that horribly. No, you didn't. You did amazing, I, sweetie. I forgot how sad he yeah. is. Well, like, Guilt-ridden. You forget that when people use this type of power, they have all of the deep-rooted emotions of that person's being mm-hmm. when they get into their brain. You can feel people's history mm-hmm. in them. And the sadness just made me sad. And it just makes it more evident about how Rhysand is so in tune with Feyre and, like, how he is feeling all of this through their bond of her trauma and her mental state. So, I mean, he really is the only one who can truly comment on it. As a result, Feyre storms off after this. She stays in her room, but she hears him go into the study. She goes to see him in the study, and then he says, yes, I'm sorry, I was so awful. I got you something. He gives her these paints. And you realize in that moment that he just does not understand her. They get into this sort of back and forth. She makes the comment, um, the marry someone who can put up with this. Right. He blinked slowly and then with terrible softness, do you not want to marry me then? Of course I do, my voice broke, but you, Tamlin, I'm drowning. I am drowning, and the more you do this, the more guards, you might as well be shoving my head underwater. It was rough. And of course, Tamlin, thinking that she's saying he's just as bad as Amarantha, completely loses it and he explodes he explodes into rage (laughs) and he would have seriously injured Feyre if she had not somehow magically put up some type of shield and he realizes what's happened and he starts banging on it he's like please Feyre let me in let me in Mm -hmm. and this is I think besides the mind swap is the first time that she's really gotten a glimpse of the fact that she's not just a high fae. Mm-hmm. She is powerful. Mm-hmm. Like she has some high lord power. Right. After this, he keeps apologizing. He keeps making love to her to keep her happy. And he's so guilt-ridden by how he reacted. It's kind of like love bombing. It is. think about it. It oh, is. Nice. It is. It's, it's pretty bad. And then who shows up? But... Resand! <laughs> whisk her away. I honestly, at this point, I start to look forward to her going away. There's only so much sadness you can read. And it's almost a breath of fresh air when she gets to go away and escape it. Yeah, it's a nice respite, even absolutely. If, even if she doesn't like Resand, could be worse, and we know it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm so taken by this, her second visit to the night court where he is again worried about her appearance and her weight loss. He is literally antagonizing her to eat because she's so thin. It says, eat breakfast with me. There was a note in those words that made me pause. A note of what I could have sworn was desperation and worry. There's a lot of references to his fear for her well-being. Even the argument we were talking about earlier, what provoked her comment, you go in my brain whenever you want, he asked if they weren't feeding her. And she's like, well, you know what's going on. Look in my brain. You always go in my brain. Another emotional reaction that he felt was Tamlin's explosion during that fight. And so Reese is starting to poke and prod about it, trying to figure out what happens. And she is being a little sly about it Mm -hmm. because doesn't want to fess up to the fight that she had with Tamlin. I think she has this embarrassment of it because I think it's scary. And she also knows that she's supposed to be an undercover spy for them. And she probably shouldn't be feeding information about Mm -hmm. when Tamlin explodes. It does kind of feel like someone hiding the deeds of their abuser a little bit. When someone's abused, you have this this guilt and shame that is unexplainable. You know you're not supposed to feel guilty, and you know that you're not supposed to feel shameful of what's going on because you were the victim of it. Right. But it's really hard to talk about, and that's why people don't express it. There is this embarrassment. I am a confident person, and I should never be going through this, but if I tell people, then it makes it real. Mm-hmm. Or that you love them so much and you don't want to get them in trouble mm-hmm. is the other part of it, too, when yeah. it comes to dealing with an abusive relationship. Honestly, I will say the Tamlin chapters were so hard to read when he was exploding. They were. They were really difficult. Uh, Feyre does go back to the night court another time, and then she comes back again to the spring court. Can we just read, can we appreciate some of the, um, things that Rhysand's been making her try to practice with writing? <laughs> the phrases are so It's so, so stupid. Funny. I'm sorry, I did not find it cute. I am finding it cute. I find it cute. They're dumb and I love it. He's such an egocentric girl. Rhysand is a spectacular person. Rhysand is the center of my world. Rhysand is the best lover a female can ever dream You know what's so funny? <laughs> Rhysand's portrayed ego, the way that he does these things, are how Tamlin actually views himself. Mm-hmm. You know Rhysand doesn't actually think these things about him, and it's just kind of for the show of it. Mm-hmm. But then you come to find out that Tamlin thinks he's the greatest. I'm the good guy. I'm this. I'm mm-hmm. that. I don't know. They really are foils of each other. Yeah, abs- I was just going to say that they are very much foils of each other. Would you say Night and Day. Oh. <laughs> Night and Day or another book series. But, uh, oh, really? <laughs> Night and oh, Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought you meant an actual, like, book title. <laughs> Talking anyway. about in the Mossverse. So, um, let, let's get to the breaking point. She keeps going back and forth between the Spring Court, the Night Court. Let me rephrase that. The Night Court's Moonstone House. Palace. Palace. House palace. Palace house. Moonstone. A moonstone. Stones of the moon. It's a palouse. It's a a (laughs) palouse. Just keep in mind that as she's going back and forth, she's feeding the spring court information of what she sees, what it looks like. They're shocked that she's sitting in a castle with open windows and moonstone. They're like, that doesn't sound like the night court at all because we think of it as under the mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything's terrible and they're like, he hasn't done horrible stuff to you and all this. And she's like, no, he's just making me read. <laughs> that you don't have time to do for me, yeah. yeah. And as she comes back, she kind of falls back into whatever trauma she left. The night terrors are starting to resume, the mm-hmm. vomiting. Tamlin is there in the bed with her as she's getting up in a night terror and throwing up in the bathroom, and he's not even trying to comfort her. It's just their normal nighttime now. Mm-hmm. And then protection is even doubled 
During that, her first week back after her second visit, she was not allowed out of sight of the home. Some nameless threat had broken out onto the lands, and Tamlin and Lucian were called away to deal with it. So she wasn't even allowed to leave the house by this point. But she was allowed to be the undercover spy for the night court. Right. Yeah. So frustrating. And when she was home, she was constantly guarded, and people were with her at all times. And yeah. mm-hmm. she couldn't be alone. She couldn't travel on her own. She yeah. was really sequestered. She's miserable. She kind of shuts down. Tamlin sees it. She doesn't get out of bed anymore. She'll stay in bed till noon. She gives up. She just gives up. And she just kind of lounges around the house and she's miserable. I mean, it's like the epitome of clinical depression. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But then we come to a boiling point. And she tells Tamlin, that girl who needed to be protected, who craved stability and comfort, she died under the mountain. I had died. But no one to protect me from those horrors before my neck snapped. So I had done it myself. I would not, could not yield that part of me that had awoken and transformed under the mountain. Oh, that's hard to even listen to. I think this is a really important thing about this part of the book, which is that not only does she physically die, she also symbolically was died and was reborn. Yeah. Her values, what she wants out of life has completely changed, as well as her body and her abilities. And it's a shame because Tamlin, and maybe Lucian to an extent, is trying to preserve this innocent, fragile human she used to be, and she's just like, no, like, I am not this person anymore, and I can't do this, I can't be in this house. You know, I don't want these things anymore, I don't want to go on, and I think she even says, like, to Tamlin, I don't want to go on rides, I don't want to go on picnics, I don't want to be in this house anymore, I want to leave, let me help, let me be there for you, I won't say anything, I won't do anything, just... Let me come with you. I need to get out. And he says, no. He says flat out, no, not going to happen. And when she pushes more, he puts a spell, I believe, on the house, or at least on the on the manor, which prevents just her from leaving. So evil. She has already been held as a slave. You held her captive from the moment that you took her to the fairy realm. And then she sacrificed herself and became Amaranth's slave and was jailed. And yet you have the audacity to literally keep her locked like a prisoner inside the house. I, oh, I can't. It'll make me so angry. I just think that Tamlin felt like he was out of options. Like, I, I get it. Like, out of it's, options it's, for what? That she goes exploring? He can't control her anymore. Like, he never controlled her before. I know, I know. But she kind of went along with it for a while there. It's just she was easier when she, she kind of gave up. She went along with it because it was a yeah. trauma response right. to her abusive childhood. She's no longer that abused, neglected child that we met in the beginning of the first book. Now she's just neglected Uh. fiancé. I'm not condoning what Tamlin did. All I'm saying is that I understand why he did what he did. He's protecting her. He's ensuring that nothing happens to her. That she becomes safe because I guess she could be a breeding weapon of some sort if anyone got their hands on her. And he just, I don't think he would survive if that were to happen again. The thing is, I get that. I get Mm -hmm. that he wants to protect her. But when you're watching her deteriorate in front of you, she can't sleep. She's losing weight. You know she looks like shit. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, you know what will help the situation because I can't control you? Let's just lock you up. 
That to me is straight up evil. I don't care if he thinks he's protecting her. You physically see someone that you supposedly love dying before your eyes and you're like, instead of dealing with this, I'm just going to shove you in a faucet. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is bad. It is. I feel like Tamlin's trauma is forgivable until that point. Or yeah. like understandable. He was mad at her for like, making him feel like Amarantha. You just fucking became her. Yeah. You literally became every single thing that she fought and was traumatized yeah, by before. for you. You just became that. And you wonder why she reacted the way she did. She literally just imploded with all of her random magic that she doesn't understand from all of these courts. She had, what was it, she wind had, and she, fire. Right, she had ice coming out of her hands and like, fire and she darkness. Just, she and... was like a star that exploded mm -hmm. and the black hole is just going to eat everything around yeah no it was rough it was it was not good which is why when a female who we find out is more picks her up and from inside the house from inside the house we hear alice tell her to take her alice really sorry not alice alice, alice really cares yeah. about Feyre, and she knew that she, she wasn't doing all okay. she wasn't gonna survive she's like, the one person who in the spring court saw it and was like take her away and don't come back please yeah yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, and then and Feyre's return to the night court. More brings her... Indefinitely. So the reason why Moore was able to walk into the house and get Feyre, despite the shield, was because Resand from the summer court, was able to break the shield, but he would not be allowed to cross the border and take Feyre himself, because that could start a war of the courts mm -hmm. and so he sent more into the house to grab her and she literally it's like I did, I did everything by the book mm -hmm. and she just kept telling Farah she carried her out you are out you're free oh that makes me want to cry mm -hmm. yeah like, mm -hmm. finally for once at one time in the whole book one and up to this point this is the first person to save Farah. She's constantly the savior. She's constantly going to bat for everybody else and sacrificing herself. And this is the one moment when she has just reached rock bottom, mm -hmm. imploding, self-deprecating. Someone is there to save her. Mm -hmm. And it's Resand and more. Yeah. He says, by law and protocol, things would have become very complicated and very messy if I had been the one to walk into that house and take you. Smashing that shield was fine, but more had to be the one to go in on her two feet render the sentries unconscious through her own power, and carry you over the border to another court before I could bring you here. Tamlin would have free reign to march his forces into my land to reclaim you. And I have no interest in an internal war. We had to do everything by the book. And then he offers, stay here however long you want. Stay here forever if you would like. He's making it her decision. Yeah. What am I going to tell you what to do? You have, yeah. like, the powers of, like, seven fae in you. I got nothing. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and this is also when she learns about Valeris. Yes. Yes. So he finally opens up to her. We leave in ten minutes if you want to freshen up. Where are we going? To Valaris, the city of starlight. And he winnows her to a magical place in the night court that we will talk about in part two. <laughs> part two! <laughs> so I guess we need to talk about predictions. Final thoughts. I love this book so much. <laughs> Oh, it's so, my favorite. Yeah. The first two books, the way that they interplay off of each other, will forever be my favorites. I like the other books for other Ugh. reasons, but I'm these all about first, because we've got a Nesta in our group. Ugh. 
If you know, you, you know. know. <laughs> I've made it now my game, my internal game now to figure out who's going to become a Nesta stan. Oh, that's so funny. Because, like, it's really interesting. I don't that know if she would. No, I don't think her and I don't, I don't, J- hey, Jocelyn, I don't think you're going to be a Nesta fan either. We can oh. unpack that later. It's okay. Nestas are terrible people. It's fine. Yeah. But we love them anyway. I am a terrible person. It's fine. I don't think so, but that's, <laughs> that's why. That's so Elaine. <laughs> Like, I just feel Nessa to my core, and I feel like you have, that's like, there's no other way to describe it. Like, I feel like if you're a Nessa person- When you read that book, it. you'll look at me and you'll be like, you're such a Nessa. <laughs> <laughs> once, once she started messaging me, I was like, oh, I was like, all right, I guess, I guess she's our Nessa. I didn't even want to be. I was like, I hate this person, but then I also realized in my depression, I hate myself too. It's fine. <laughs> It's great. I learned a lot about myself in this book series. I love this for you. I was so nervous for you reading Silver Flame for so many reasons. Why? I thought it'd be too smutty for you. Oh, it's... I could have done without some of that stuff, but... It was... It's spicy. It was the first book to ever make me cry. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, final thoughts. I love this book series. I love this book specifically so much. What are your predictions about what Valeris is? thought of like i'm thinking like atlantis you know mm-hmm. like this like beautiful i don't know why i thought that too yeah <laughs> for some reason i thought it would be underwater i did too <laughs> I, I, I don't know why i thought it was gonna be like super ancient and underwater and you know atlantis I this, i'm so glad someone else thought that i thought that too um so, yeah i think it's gonna be a really magical old place i feel like it'll be super peaceful yeah if anything because it is also weird that all she knows so far is the moonstone palace and the court of nightmares mm-hmm. no one's really hanging around the moonstone palace it's just resan Moore, and her and then his two helpers mm-hmm. the twins where are the rest of the people right well or is she... it like uh well, another did... what do they call it oh my god i'm blanking no but they have a word for it in the book it's oh. glamoring. 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 Oh, glamoring. Like, oh. oh, that she can't see the, the people or well, people in the Moonstone Palace. Ooh. For a moment when I was reading, I was like, where are all these people? Because that happened in the Spring Court too, where right. it was very desolate. Yeah. That's really people interesting. Everywhere. I never thought about that. That's really yeah. cool. I don't think so, but it's still really cool. Like <laughs> Because um, I thought it was weird that I was like, are all these castles and manors and palaces just super empty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they could be. <gasps> what if he really was evil and had Claire Betters nailed to the wall and just glamoured it all? Oh my god. That was... <laughs> 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 Sorry. I'm doing this too this well, it, it's, it's the true nightmare. Because <laughs> I'm a nest, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Claire. She's been through enough. You know, at the end of the day, R.I.P. She's Claire. She's just some random girl who got, like, knocked off. Like, it's just I awful. I mean, to be fair... Pharaoh was also some random girl who just happened to shoot a wolf. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. That's to be fair. To be Pharaoh. <laughs> what are our next chapters, Sam? Part two, The House of Wind. And that will be chapters 14 through the end of 28. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>